You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Hello and welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean, Mile High Sports podcast to talk all things Avalanche hockey. Um, most recently, you know, you and I were both at Ball Arena last night, Arif, watching the 2-1 Edmonton overtime win and, and the Avalanche take an overtime loss. Um, it was a really defensive matchup, right? I mean, it, it was an entertaining game in the sense of, wow, these are two teams really kicking it into playoff gear, giving giving each other a taste of, I guess, everything they've got defensively, right? I mean, I feel like Edmonton did an amazing job at limiting Avalanche's shots. Avalanche did a great job of limiting really dangerous opportunities from the Edmonton Oilers. So just from that defensive standpoint, I think it is a great place to kick off the podcast. Yeah, I mean, the, the the biggest takeaway from what you just said to me is sometimes you have games where there's lulls offensively, not a lot offensively going on for both teams, but that was 100% not the case. Both teams were generating opportunities, but the defense was shutting them down. So there's a difference between a boring game without offense and an entertaining game where defense was running the show. And that's what we saw yesterday. Just a couple examples. Uh, the Devon Taves, what was it? Three on three one. On one. Yep. Bingo. Yep. Where Devon Taves, where Edmonton was coming into the zone and Devon Taves is able to poke it, send the puck the other way for Nathan McKinnon. That's an opportunity that Edmonton generates and often scores on. That's an opportunity that Devon Taves defensively poked away and didn't let happen. There was a play where Evander Kane was behind the goal and the Oilers were cycling, cycling, cycling. And then Bowen Byram got into him physically and started to kind of, you know, 
run the show and, and take him take him out and separate man from puck, which is the most important thing against the boards. And he did in the avalanche got the puck out of the zone. Every single time Nathan McKinnon had an opportunity and was skating deep into the zone, those active sticks, Jared Bednar always likes to talk about the active sticks, the active sticks of the Edmonton Oilers were able to poke it away. How many times did we see Miko Renton and get a dangerous opportunity that was starting to get generated only for Edmonton to stop the avalanche in their tracks. Uh, the closest the avalanche got, you know, outside of the Ben Myers goal, which was a bit fluky, um, which is funny because I think both goals were kind of ones that both goalies would 100% want back and usually don't let in. So it could have very easily been a zero zero game heading into OT. But how many times did we see the avalanche's top guys get shut down? How many times did we, think the avalanche were going to score only for Edmonton to stop it vice versa. Every time Connor McDavid would do his thing, sit there and twirling in the offensive zone, separating himself from the defenseman only to be caught by another defender, another forward or a kick save by Alex Georgiev. And then obviously the closest the avalanche got was that power play where Miko sent it to Nate circle to circle, just like he always does on the power play for Nate to hit the post. So just an entertaining game. It started a little bit sluggish and slow, but that lasted, what, seven, eight minutes in the first period? And then from there, it took off offensively. Both teams were generating, and it was a lot of fun. But defensively, they were so responsible on both ends of the ice that despite all the shots, despite all the chances, both teams were out there not flexing their offensive muscles like they did in a four-game series last year, but it was their defensive side of the game. Yeah, I guess let's look into, you know, obviously we know we're missing – uh, Kale McCarr and Josh Manson in the lineup. Uh, and I think those are two pivotal defensemen when it comes to an offensively potent team like the, like the Oilers, right? Especially we've seen Kale McCarr single-handedly slow down a guy like Connor McDavid. So I guess your thoughts on, on the Avalanche's ability to essentially slow down the big guns and your boy Leon Dreisaitl ended the game with zero shots on goal, FYI. Yeah, that's wild. I, um, I saw that, by the way, because Leon was generating. Leon had a lot of opportunities with the puck on his stick where he was skating, he was looking well. And then when I checked at the end and saw zero, I I thought exactly what, what, what a lot of people were thinking, just a master class of defense against him. Yes, Connor McDavid had seven shots, but... How many of them were dangerous? I could think of one. And it was one where all of us in the press box after Georgie covered the puck just kind of looked at each other with a smile like, what the hell did he just do from how good he is? Yeah, I mean, he was he was a treat to watch, right? It felt like he was uh, just finding himself space and dipsy doodling his way around the Az defensive zone. But not, not having Kale McCarr had to have been a huge challenge for the Avalanche as well, right? You're not just playing the Edmonton Oilers, but you're uh, matching up against the league's best player and you're missing the league's best defenseman. So I think there's a lot of credit that the Avalanche deserved from the defensive side. Yeah, they weren't necessarily um, generating as much offense as you'd like, right? They got outshot by 10 shots, I believe. Um, but shutting down those two guys with no Kale McCarr, no Josh Manson. I mean, I think that's a that's a pretty big accolade right there. Yeah, what I'm loving from this last portion of the season, and and you know, there was updates from Morning Skate, if you remember from Jared yesterday, where Josh Manson it was weird. He was asked if Josh Manson will be ready for the playoffs, and he said yes, and then he started to go more into it, and then he stopped and just said yes, yes. Like it was kind of like he wanted to say, I expect everybody to be ready, but that would include Landeskog, so he didn't want to say that because obviously Landeskog probably won't be ready. So it was a little bit of a weird uh, weird response there, but what we got from Jared Bednar is what I'm trying to say is Josh Manson and Kel McCarr will both be ready for game one of the playoffs, assuming nothing goes wrong. That's what the expectation is. And it wasn't even a should. It was like a, yeah, they will be. And we, again, 
Jared never speaks in absolutes with injuries. He never does because there's never a reason to give an exact timeline because we don't know. I know the one other time he did it was when he said he expects Josh Manson to play in March, but it seems like things are getting better on that front. So all of that was to say without Josh Manson and obviously Cam McCarr, this last handful of games, Bowen Byron missed a couple We've seen guys in and out of the lineup pretty much all year, except for Devon Tapes. He's been pretty steady there. I think he's only missed one. But with these guys absent, we've seen Bowen Byram elevate his game like he did last year. Most importantly, we've seen Samuel Gerard elevate the hell out of his game. And yesterday against the Edmonton Oilers was probably one of the best games I've ever seen Sam Gerard play from a defensive standpoint. He was so physical for a smaller guy, like Jared said. And he was playing the body on everybody. Didn't matter if it was Evander Kane, if it was Zach Hyman, if it was Leon Dreisaitl. These are powerful, powerful, strong players. Dreisaitl is a big dude, man. He's a big dude. I, I saw him in the hallways after the game, and he, he's 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 a built guy. And most importantly, a strong guy. Yeah, and he's got a he's got a massive upper body. So like these guys are built different. And Sam Gerrard was handling them physically, which you love to see that from a guy like him and of his stature. So what you're seeing right now is all of these guys elevate their game. Jack Johnson, man, I can't say enough good things about Jack Johnson. He's been better in the 2023 version of himself than he was in the 2022 version of himself that we all kind of were like, oh, this guy's actually doing what he's supposed to do. And what we saw yesterday was him play, I believe, five and a half minutes more than Eric Johnson did. Just heavy penalty kill minutes. That doesn't mean necessarily that Jack Johnson is going to dress and Eric Johnson's going to sit when everybody's healthy. Uh, that's something that I have been kind of looking into and questioning what the Avalanche are going to do. But uh, I was talking to Peter about it yesterday. And he said, you know, I, I learned my lesson from last year because Peter and I talked about it on the podcast last year when we said maybe Ryan Murray will play ahead of EJ. But what you're seeing is Jack Johnson taking over those shorthanded minutes and the kind of responsibility that Josh Manson would probably play. So I don't know for sure if Jack would play above Eric. Eric is doing the number five, the number six role perfectly, but we're seeing Jack take over that number four role that that Josh Manson has left behind with the injury and obviously also Kel McCarr's minutes. But they're all playing well. All these other guys are elevating their game that now when you include Kale McCarr and Josh Manson, you have everybody kind of doing their thing and, and playing their best hockey. What were we talking about last year in the playoffs about Byram? He was okay to start. And then when Sam Gerrard was injured against the St. Louis Blues, Bo Byram stepped in and was incredible to the point where if Sam Gerrard was able to be reinserted into the lineup, now you have a healthy Sam Gerrard and an incredible Bowen Byram. That's what's happening right now with Manson and uh, McCarr out of the lineup. You're seeing guys step up and it's given the Avalanche the ability to hopefully have a healthy defense that we've been talking about. They haven't had them since November 5th in Finland or November 4th, whatever it was. And this could be the first time that they're healthy and it would be game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, and a nice little luxury too there to have seven capable bodies there to play defense, right? You're not necessarily having to throw a Ryan Murray who's more of a borderline guy. You have guys who have proven that they can get the job done. The same seven from last year. Ryan Murray didn't play in the playoffs. You hope that the same seven that played in the playoffs last year are the only same seven. That means Curtis McDermott's on the outside looking in just like he was the entire playoffs last year. Brad Hunt, to me, perfect replacement in my brain to Ryan Murray. You hope he's on the outside looking in, never needing to go there, but good guys to have at practice, to have and run drills and, and the extra repetition that you need there when some guys need to take a rest. 
but it's Kale McCarr, Devon Taves, Owen Byram, Josh Manson, Samuel Gerard, Eric Johnson, Jack Johnson. Those are the seven guys they used last year, and those are the seven guys you hope that they have to stick with this year. Yeah, they did a great job yesterday with Dreisaitl and McDavid seemingly being on the ice every other shift. One of them was on or the other. It's It felt like all night last night. I know that wasn't the case, but when, when they were making things happen, you really felt it. So props to the defense. So let's let's stick with the defensive theme here and talk about Bowen Byram. You got into him a little bit, but he returns last night. I, I know he had been inching his way back, but I think it was huge for him to come back last night. I think that game without Bowen Byram, has a much different look, both for better and for worse, right? Um, but I think he played a, a solid game. He was everywhere, but he's the one that kind of got that last penalty um, that gave the Oilers the power play that allowed them to score the game-winning goal. So you saw him in the dressing room really beating himself up and and really, you know, just reminiscing as to what happened. And, you know, it was a play earlier. He was leading a rush down in the offensive zone and, and there was a no call there. So I know he was extra upset about that too, but just being the reason that your team kind of has to go short and having to watch the game winning goal from the penalty box. I mean, that's painful stuff. You really feel for him on that one. Yeah. And uh, like you said, he was leading the rush the other end on a play that maybe could have been called. I, I don't know for sure. The The McDavid one was very, very obvious. Yeah. The Bowen Byron penalty on McDavid. Um, but he also had the puck on his stick and shot it wide. He had that opportunity. I think mm, it was right. Right. Ran, yep. Was it Rantanen or Miko? Somebody or, or Nate? Somebody set him up as he was coming down the slot, and he collected the puck like literally between the hash marks. He had that shot. Stuart Skinner was way out of his crease, and he shot it wide. So you got to feel for him. It is tough. It is what it is. But you know what? In the end, and I say this knowing that skill usually trumps all skill and responsibility in overtime. But overtime periods are a coin flip. You're not going to see him in the playoffs. To take the Edmonton Oilers shorthanded like that, 60 minutes to a 1-1 game where both goals were kind of bad goals. It's not like Connor McDavid, you know, destroyed you on one goal and Ben Myers got lucky on the other. Matthias Eckholm shot a shot that Georgiev saves 10 times out of 10, not even nine times out of 10. So I don't know where the hell yesterday came from. But, you know, not to take away from Georgie, but like that was a good game by the Avalanche. Overtimes are a coin flip. It is unfortunate to see the Oilers get a power play in overtime because that is a deadly power play. It's the best in the NHL. They are breaking records. Leon Dreisaitl's breaking records with power play goals this year. And the Avalanche were able to shut them down at five on four so well, but four on three is a different ball game. And that's what I was going to get into. Like you said, you're not going to see that kind of a power play in a, in a playoff setting. So you kind of have a little bit of flexibility and tolerance there, but yeah, that was my thought exactly. Oh, the Oilers are going on the power play, uh, but it's a four on three. That might throw a different little caveat. So, um, yeah, uh, it's it's more of a in my four opinion, on an overtime goal more yeah, than it was yeah, 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 a, a yeah. power play goal. Four four on three power plays to me are way more dangerous than five on fours. Way more dangerous. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot more space. Yeah, a lot more space. Fewer guys on the ice. It is an easier. And I don't have the numbers to crunch them, but you're gonna score a hell of a lot more on four on three than you are at five on four. Yeah, and if, if you remember that goal too, Nugent Hopkins essentially took Georgiev's eyes away standing right in front of the net. And if you have an extra body on there, maybe you're a little bit more willing to cover that guy in front yeah. of the net rather than have to make sure you're covering the perimeter. Yeah, so. yeah. yep, exactly. And and Evan Bouchard, just a beautiful play, that little shimmy shake on JT Comfort to get open, have a wide open shot. Obviously, like you said, with Georgie's eyes being taken away. So, you know, it is what it is, but in the overtime periods, so anything past regulation, the Avalanche in overtime 
nine and four after that loss yesterday and the shootout six and three. When did the Avalanche ever go 15 and seven past past regulation? Like they've been very fortunate this year to have that many wins, to collect that many. And I know, you know, last year about the Florida Panthers, I said it many, many times. The Florida Panthers season was a fluke because they relied on winning three on three games so many times on their way to a president's trophy that you knew they didn't have what it takes in the playoffs. The difference between the Panthers last year and the Avalanche this year is the Panthers last year did that at full health. That was their best team needing overtime. The Avalanche haven't been at full health full season and probably never will to the point where if they just have that fully healthy blue line and a healthy Georgiev going into the playoffs, you can say, all right, well, they had to, like Jared was saying yesterday, remember how he went on randomly went on his rant, just crediting his team, this resilient bunch, and they've been, they've got so much heart. And he just kind of went on and on out of nowhere, like the season was over for some reason. And to me, what it said was, this team can play five on five, but they've needed to scrape and claw so many times this year to be resilient, just to get it to overtime, to win some games, to be in the position they are now where they could win the central. And, you know, officially they clinched home ice advantage in the first round, something we never thought was possible in February or even early March. So I don't want to say it's the same as the Panthers because the Avalanche have needed so many overtime games this year because they've had shorthanded rosters. And it's looking like Darren Helm is a question mark again, but it's looking like 92 and 43 might be the only guys that aren't ready for game one. And that's crazy because those are the same two guys that were out training camp. Darren Helm's second return was pretty good. And it wouldn't surprise me if Darren Helm randomly returns again in the middle of the first round of the playoffs, if not even game one, you don't know, he might return for game one. Gabe Landeskog is a question mark. Everybody else Assuming no injuries in the last two games, everybody else looks like they're going to be ready to go for game one of the playoffs. And that is a healthy avalanche roster just missing their captain, which is a big piece, but someone that hasn't played all season. I know a lot of people have seen my tweet too, right? And it, it's still making its rounds, still catching steam. Every once in a while, you just get a banger tweet that everybody loves. And my tweet about Val Nachushkin going across the dressing room and kind of just telling Bo and Byram, it's okay. I mean, not only are they healthy on the ice, they're healthy within that dressing room, right? What a cohesive unit. And for, uh, you know, a guy to be beating himself up over giving up a loss and then one of your best players going across and, and just tell him, hey, man, don't worry about it. We're going to keep moving forward. It wasn't season ending. I mean, I think that was a a really powerful moment that, you know, you know, it exists in that locker room left and right. All the guys in there are, are very close, a lot of camaraderie, but um, to see it in down times like that, I, I just think that was a, a really telling sign as to how this um, unit, uh, I guess, bands together. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you, you dropped that tweet and you walked out. We were talking about it after Peter was like, Hey, did you see JJ's tweet? Were, were you there? And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And I looked it up and I was like, I no, I did not. I was talking to Andrew Cogliano. We're all just talking about everybody it. was except for me. <laughs> yeah. We're all just like, what, what, what's going on here? So none of us really saw it except for you. We were kind of talking about it. Like what, when, when the hell did JJ see this? So it, it is pretty freaking cool because that is the kind of team this team is. And there's something to be said about that locker room connection, that dressing room connection that this team has. It's, it's what carried them last year. And I know you're going to sit there if you're a fan and be like, we don't care. We just want the best players in the room, but the best players don't always do the trick. Look at what Calgary's got going on. Calgary has a lot of great players that just can't band together right now. Maybe they will next year. I'm sure they will. 
but they can't right now. It's not always about having the guys that would have the higher overall in an EA sports game. It's about the guys that connect the best. And, and that's what you're seeing from Nichushkin and Byram and, and the dressing room in general. And obviously they are great players at the same time. Yeah. And, and we've talked over and over the last couple of years about how good this team is at bouncing back. Right. I mean, I feel like that positive, that positivity, that cohesiveness is really a, a big factor for that. And them, I can, I can almost count on them having a pretty strong game tomorrow against Winnipeg too. Yeah. 100%. And, and if you're the avalanche, and if you're an Avalanche fan, you are watching the games today. I want to make sure it's today before I say today. Great podcast. Yes, the Stars are at St. Louis today. And if you're the Avs, you are watching that game, sitting there with your fingers crossed, praying that the Dallas Stars lose in regulation somehow to the St. Louis Blues and that idiot they have in goal. <laughs> because if they do... The Avalanche can go into game 81 against the Winnipeg Jets at home and win that game and clinch first place in the Central Division because they would open up a three-point lead on Dallas through 81 games. If that happens, let me tell you, those guys in the dressing room that are playing game 81, jerseys off our backs, they ain't going to be the same guys getting on that flight to Nashville. <laughs> They're going to get a lot of guys to take a day off, whether it's Nathan McKinnon. Miko might go play and play 10, 12 minutes just to say, hey, I played an all 82 this year. Maybe JT Comfer. You'll send a few guys. But a lot of guys, including number 40, are going to get the day off. Don't even fly. Just stay here. We'll call up Ben Myers. Well, Ben Myers is already called up. We'll call up some other guys. We'll get him an NHL game. Alex Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk, Jean-Luc Foodie, Cal Burke, you name it. <laughs> Sign a couple of amateur tryouts like the Toronto Maple Leafs have had to do to, to back up their goalies. Do whatever the hell you got to do. So if you're the Avalanche, you are hoping. And if you are an Avalanche fan, you are hoping Wednesday night the St. Louis Blues can somehow beat the Dallas Stars in regulation so that all the Avalanche have to do is on Thursday, beat the Winnipeg Jets at home. The same Winnipeg Jets that have locked up number eight seed and they are traveling on the road. They ain't going to bring a lot of guys out. Why would they? I think mm -hmm. this is game 82 for them as well. So that scenario that you want for the Avalanche in game 82, that's what Winnipeg's going to have Thursday in Denver. They're going to rest a lot of guys. So if St. Louis could just beat Dallas today, Colorado could come out full force. It'll look like those preseason games where the Avalanche are playing all their starters and Winnipeg's <laughs> playing some of their starters. Win that game and don't let many of those guys get on that flight. Hell, forfeit the damn game. Send Jared Bednar and Nolan Pratt to just stand on the bench and have nobody on the ice for all I care. Rest as many guys as you can for game 82. Is that is that Bednar? What, what's he even doing what's on the he ice? doing on the ice that's a great <laughs> video um no yeah definitely i think the avalanche bounce back you know something you might want to take to the bank or take it to super book sports of course guys baseball's back and the push for the postseason is on for both hockey and hoops make it all count this spring with super book sports super book sports is the best wagering app around with direct line to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in las vegas plus you get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Um, if I wanted to get into Jared Bednar's comments at Morning Skate, I thought that was interesting and, and curious how he was trying to play it, right? he, he I mean, I was sitting there watching Morning Skate, and I, I even – 
mentioned to the people sitting around me like wow this is very low energy they're having a hard time getting passes across to each other the power play um, practice that they were doing was looking terrible on both sides and then we get into the uh, bed in our presser and he says yeah we didn't have very much energy we just got back from an eight game road trip the guys seemed tired and I thought that was interesting for him to kind of do that it was almost unprompted that he did that and I'm not sure if it was more of a, hey, a message to the team, like, hey, guys, you were a little flat. Let's make sure to pick it up today or him just simply, you know, calling it like it is. But I thought it was interesting that he took the time to mention that they were a little low in energy yesterday morning. Didn't it almost sound like he was being sarcastic at first? Somebody, somebody I, I, yeah. asked how he had a little the grin on his face, yeah, right? Somebody, it was almost yeah, like yeah. you should be more disappointed in this yeah, scenario. Kind of like somebody asked, How was the energy? Like, you know, those questions that are like obvious answers, and I do it all the time too. It's like, How big was it to come out without at least a point yesterday? How well, does it feel? State the fucking obvious. Of course, it was big. We clinched home ice advantage. No, it sucked. We didn't want that point. Like, that's kind of what it felt like Jared was doing. Somebody said, How was the energy? And he was saying, Low, like, Ha ha ha! Low, no energy. What do you think? LOL. You guys are so silly. Like, of course they had a lot of energy. We're NHL players, so that's kind of what I felt like he was doing. And he said low, and he kind of had that grin on his face. And then he went, "It's tough. We just came back from an eight-day, four-game road trip. Usually that first game back is low energy, and and it's looking like it's low energy today." And I was like, "Oh, he's he's serious." And then the Edmonton Oilers, we went to go take a look at their morning skate. There was like four guys on the ice. One of them was Ryan Murray, who I forgot signed there. Hasn't played most of the season because of an injury. Surprise. Um, and I'm like, I I don't know what to expect from this game. Obviously, it ended up being entertaining as hell. 18,000 plus people were treated to a great game. But it was a little funny to, to hear him say it the way he did. Yeah, and I think a great game considering one team is low energy and the other team is trying to rest because I assume they were a little bit low energy as well. It was still a fantastic game. So imagine what both of these teams can do once they're a little bit rested, they're ready to go for playoffs and have a second to uh, catch a deep breath. Yeah. And, and Hey, for the Edmonton Oilers, now that you won this game against the avalanche, you have a lot to play for. And, you know, (laughs) we talked about it before the game that all Vegas has to do is lose one game. And then the winner of the Avalanche Edmonton game would control their own destiny for first in the West. We mentioned it. That overtime goal was big for Edmonton because Vegas plays Seattle on Thursday. You and I both said it yesterday. We think Seattle can split. If Seattle wins that game, all Edmonton if Seattle wins that game, all Edmonton has to do is win their game. And they are now number one in the West. Do you know who game 82 for Edmonton is against? Is it the Wild? No. <laughs> No, no, it's a little easier than that, JJ. They're playing the San Jose Sharks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, on Thursday... I think last time they played the Sharks, they put up seven. It was a 7-0 game. (laughs) So, on Thursday, at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 6 o'clock Mountain... Oh, wait, no, sorry, that's the Dallas game. (laughs) <laughs> um nice let's find it look at me just crushing it on the podcast oh no no it's going to be around the same time so on thursday unfortunately for the oilers you're going to have to play without resting your top guys seven o'clock mountain time the oilers are going to be home taking on the low 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 san jose sharks who have 22 wins aka if san jose loses that game they'll have the same amount of wins that the shitty avalanche of 2017 had the only difference is the sharks have 16 overtime loss points 
the Avalanche did not have that many. I think they had six or seven. Um, anyway, seven o'clock Mountain Time. The Oilers are going to drop the puck against the Sharks. They're going to build like a five nothing lead before you blink. And then an hour and a half later, the Golden Knights and the Kraken are going to drop the puck. And instead of the Oilers playing their top guys 25 minutes, hopefully they have that lead. They're all just going to be sitting on the bench looking at their iPads watching. Because unlike the Avalanche, like the Avalanche getting first place over Vegas, if they were the ones that won that game yesterday and controlled their own destiny, it's a difference between playing wild card one seed and wild card two seed. You know, Seattle versus Winnipeg, which is still pretty good. But for Edmonton, Vegas, you're in the same division. So it's about being first in your division compared to second in your division, which is a massive difference. So Edmonton's got a big chance here. They just need the Seattle Kraken to win a game. Seattle Kraken will likely, if they win that game, will be the, well, actually not likely, they for sure will. If the Kraken win that game, they will be the team the Avalanche plays in the first round, assuming the Avalanche can win their division, which again, still is not entirely for sure. And the Edmonton Oilers would jump to first and play the Winnipeg Jets, which would be massive for them. Yep, first in the West is off the table for Colorado, but Edmonton still has a chance, and and they just look good, right? They look playoff ready, despite I guess their their goaltending question marks. I think they play a defensive structure that helps protect their their goalies a little bit. You saw it on their penalty kill, how you know they weren't really chasing the perimeter. Whenever the Avs would pass the puck around to you know McKinnon, Taves, Rantanen, the Oilers just let them do it and they just wanted to clog the middle and, and really protect the goalie and protect the goal. And they did a good job as the avalanche were unable to score a power play goal. So um, I, I, I like the way Edmonton's playing their current form, right? That's always the conversation in, in European soccer. I feel like Edmonton's current form is right where they want to be head playoff times, just like heading to playoff time, just like the avalanche are. Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is something that we've talked about a lot this season. There was that loss to the Chicago Blackhawks back in January where all hell was free. All hell. All the, the sky was falling. Hell was freezing over. Whatever the saying is. Hell broke loose, I think. Is what all hell broke for. loose. That's where I was going. It's, it's, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early for me to be awake. Um, 40 games into the season, the Avalanche were 2017 and three. They were tied in points with the Detroit Red Wings, 21st and 22nd in the NHL. And people said, can they even make the playoffs this year? That was the 40-game mark, 2017-3. Since then, 29-7-4, they've played 80 games. So that second 40-game chunk, they collected, what is it, 55 points? 28 wins is... 29 wins is 58, 65 points. They collected 65 points in 40 games after collecting 43 points in 40 games. They were on pace at that 40-game mark for not even 90 points in the season. So it's really wild what they've been able to do here, the Avalanche. And uh, it's something that, you know, you're seeing them talking about play, people playing in, you know, in their best form. The Edmonton Oilers have won 30 of their last 44 games. The Avalanche have won 29 of their last 40. These are the two best teams in the Western Conference heading into the playoffs. Obviously, Vegas has something to say. Dallas has kind of been in and out of consistency. But the Oilers are entering the playoffs in their best form. They're 9-0-1 of their last 10. I believe it's 13 or 12 straight games they haven't lost in regulation. And they're like 11-0-1 or 11-0-2 or something like that. And the Avalanche, obviously, after another loss don't have the same record, but they are 8-1-1 one, and one in their last 10. We've seen them lose a handful of games over the last month, a very small handful of games. 
they're riding high too. So it's it's going to be a great playoffs, honestly, in the West. Yeah, and like you you mentioned, the first 40 versus the second 40 there, I mean, there was definitely a flip switched, right? Maybe it was when McKinnon started getting a little bit more consistent. Switch flipped. Did, did I say it backwards again? You said a flip switch. You, said, it, hard... you said that recently, and I think yeah, in my I head I was making fun of you for saying that. I'm like, don't do that, don't do that, and I did 60, it anyway. 62 points, by the way, in the last 40. I think I said 65, but 62 points in, in less than half a season. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, and and that goes hand-in-hand hand with Nathan McKinnon's surge in points since the All-Star game, right? So it seems like there was a, a moment in time during the season, perhaps right after that Chicago Blackhawks loss, where they said, all right, guys, we're halfway through the year here. We got to turn it on because we got some catching up to do and look where they sit now. So it worked out. The very next game after that Chicago game, they came home and beat the Ottawa Senators 7 to nothing. Then they built a five-goal, 5 nothing lead on the Detroit Red Wings before beating them 6-3. to Basically, after that Chicago game, they scored 12 straight goals in a game and a half and said, we're, we can't do this. Enough is enough, right? So, yeah, outstanding second 40 games from the avalanche it's been fun it feels like the second 40 happened in the snap of a finger as well the first 40 really dragged on i'm sure the players would say the same it was the trip to finland all of the breaks all the injuries there was a game against and i love how like things play out that it was against the boston bruins of all teams was the game where charles hudon was on the right wing with miko ranton in at center for your top line like it was just They've, they've, they went through so much in that first 40 games that it just kept going and going. And then they started rolling in the second half of the season where, again, I've mentioned it, like the All-Star game felt like it was yesterday watching Nathan McKinnon shoot pucks at freaking surfboards. He had 13 goals and he's got 39 now. Like, Oof. just just crazy. That is absolutely insane. Yeah, absolutely insane. One more to 40 for him, though. Let's see if he gets it tomorrow night against the Jets. But yeah, uh, I think we've kind of already broken down the upcoming schedule. We've talked goaltending and talked about how good Alexander Georgiev has been and, and just his uh, momentum head in the playoffs. So I think we've covered everything I wanted to get to today. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. The uh, last thing I do want to mention is there are now three possible opponents with the Avalanche unable to grab first in the West. Three possible opponents for the Avalanche to play in the playoffs. They lose the division. They take on the Minnesota Wild. Full stop. They will have home ice advantage. They win the division. They will take on the Kraken or the Kings. That's it. Seattle, Minnesota, LA. Those are the three teams that the Avalanche are going to face in the first round. They're going to host the first round regardless of who they play. Game one could be anywhere from Monday to Wednesday. A week from now, we're there. <laughs> it's time for playoff hockey. I'm so excited. Yeah, and in parallel, there's a I don't know what I'm trying to say, but the Nuggets playoffs are starting as well, right? So it's going to be yep. fun to see how the schedule kind of shakes out. Both teams have home ice, home, home building advantage, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, arena I intend, advantage. I intend to be in the building for some Nuggets games too. So it's going to be a hectic but fun playoff stretch because both teams are so great to watch, and both teams legitimately are contenders, right? I mean, there's always that saying in hockey: "Oh, you just got to get into the playoffs," which yes, sometimes is true, but there's always a division between the actual contenders and the pretenders and and um you know avalanche luckily are still contenders yeah absolutely and it's it's going to be so much fun the nuggets start sunday so if the nuggets go sunday then tuesday the every other cadence for their two home games that means the avalanche would start monday but maybe wednesday i just don't think the avalanche are going to start monday because they are the only playoff team that's playing on friday this week which friday is a makeup day all the games on friday are games that were scheduled earlier in the season obviously the colorado nashville game so that says to me that the avalanche at least get to start tuesday or wednesday instead of monday 
Uh, the NBA loves to do the two days off between games. So I can see the Nuggets going Sunday, then Wednesday, and the Avalanche doing Tuesday, Thursday. So we'll see. It's going to be a lot of fun regardless. We are a week away from at least one game of the playoffs. Yeah, it's just interesting to see how, or I guess, think about how the inner workings are, right? Because you know, the, the NBA didn't even schedule that second playoff game yet for the Avalanche because they're like, oh, we got to talk to the NHL first. It'd be fun to kind of hear those conversations, talk to the people who are, you know, crossing leagues and yep. coordinating all this stuff and kind of get how that all. Yeah, I remember in, I remember in, in 2003 when the Nets were still in New Jersey, the New Jersey Nets and the New Jersey Devils were both in the Stanley Cup final at the same time. And that was all the broadcast would talk about on ABC back then or ESPN, whatever it was with uh, um, Gary Thorne and, and, and Bill Clement and all those, you know, classic guys was how the Devils and the Nets are sharing this building and how they got to go back and forth and all that. So. We could very well see that with the Avalanche and Nuggets. Let's see it. Let's see it. Whether it's the Stanley Cup final and the NBA championship or even in the first round, you're going to hear a lot of it. On the other end, the Boston Celtics and the Boston Bruins both look pretty good. So, like, there could be a possibility. There's an any number of handful of teams that you can see. Toronto Raptors, Toronto Maple Leafs. Granted the Kings, the are, Clippers, and Lakers. The Kings, Clippers, and Lakers. There's a lot of things that you could see. I think the Lakers advance the Clippers. I think they're in the other playing round, I want to say. I don't know. I, I think so. Guy, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Um, but yeah, so regardless, it's going to be really interesting to see and fascinating to see how they do that. Or maybe one of the Nuggets or the Avalanche get swept in the first round and the other one's like, oh, yeah, we're so sad. We don't have to share a building anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it can get tough for some of the Nuggets because they share that parking lot, right? And it's the same parking lot as media. So sometimes the Nuggets want to go practice and the Avalanche have a game as well. There's, it's just a zoo in there. Poor, yeah. Poor Poor NBA guys. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it is what it is. Poor Avalanche is what I want to say more than the poor NBA guys because their parking lot gets full. At least you can build a second basketball court in a building on like the third floor and let them practice there. That's yeah, how it is. Gotta, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The Avalanche with the Nuggets there have to travel across town to Family Sports Laser Tag Center. Family dumpster. Um, thanks for hanging out with us today on this edition of the podcast. We'll be back Sunday to get playoff ready. Should have Peter Ball with us in that show. So, um, you know, those are always fun shows with the three of us and uh, very informative, very in-depth. So we'll have one of those for you ready to go this weekend. Other than that, that's it. Two more games to go. Two more games in the regular Rock. season. Wow. It's amazing. So so thanks for hanging out with us, guys. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Hey, friends. Are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? 
If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.